Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is a catch-up episode, which means it is a previous guest coming back for another chat today. It is Corey Tutt, the founder of Deadly Science, which is a wonderful organisation. I sincerely encourage you, if you enjoy this chat with Corey, to look up uh, Deadly Science to support Deadly Science. It's an incredible initiative, getting science books, science education out to First Nations, Indigenous Australian communities. And uh, Corey is making a huge difference in this country. He's a fantastic young man. Really love talking to him. Uh, Look, there's some audio issues in this. Uh, Anyway, look, this is the uh, uh, problem with recording (laughs) this show, not in person, over the World Wide Web. Uh, The internet, the information superhighway, is that sometimes things go wrong. So a huge shout out to the brilliant podcast, Mike who has done his absolute best to make sure that you can hear this in the best quality that uh, we could manage for this episode. So speaking of podcast, Mike, uh, that's where your Patreon money goes to. So patreon.com slash philosophy. If you uh, join up for as little as US dollar per month, you support this podcast and that money goes to pay podcast Mike for putting the episodes together and helping me produce them. Um, it, that goes to James Fosdyke for doing all the original artwork for the episodes. And uh, if we get to $5,000 per month, uh, we're about 4,900 at the moment, hovering around that mark. If we get to 5,000 per month, we will do uh, twice weekly episodes, one brand new episode with a brand new guest early in the week, and then a catch-up episode like this one with Corey later in the week. Also, if you signed up to the Patreon, you get the episodes a day early and ad-free. That's the Patreon bonus. So make sure you support the show at patreon.com slash philosophy if you have the money and the inclination if you don't have the money but you still want to support the show share it around tell people about your favorite episodes particularly episodes that don't have the highest profile names they're often some of the best episodes so if you're a champion for one of those episodes you know tweet about it facebook about it instagram tiktok do whatever it is that you can do to share the episodes uh, rate it on itunes leave a review all those things help the algorithms that uh, you know get these shows into the right hands so uh, if you like this show or if you like any of the shows we make at tofop.com go to tofop.com or james's original artwork is there you can find the art for our podcast that charlie and clausen and i do called tofop uh, there is my spin-off podcast called fofop gareth reynolds is a guest on that this week from the dollop always hilarious when gareth's on fofop and of course two guys one cup our afl adjacent podcast charlie's been doing an incredible season where he talks to various people about uh, why they support the clubs that they support so i highly recommend you check that out as well speaking of plugs i've got some shows to plug so if you're hearing this early um 26th of february in sydney um I will be doing a uh i will be doing a show uh with a whole bunch of uh, funny comedians Sam Taunton, Danielle Walker, Alex J, Justin Hamilton. Uh, uh, who else am I missing out? Anyway, a whole bunch of really funny people are doing this gala performance in the city of Sydney in Cathedral Square. So there may be still some tickets available to that. So if you're listening to this and you want to come out and see me do proper stand-up for the first time in almost a year, March 15th was my final proper stand-up gig and this will be what feb 26 so yeah uh, nearly a year of not being on stage i've done a few improv shows at the brunswick picture house but i haven't actually done any proper stand-up since um almost a year ago so if you want to come and see uh, me do that then come out uh, the 26th of february in sydney to that show and then next weekend I'll be in Canberra on the Friday night, March the 5th. I'll be doing my Illegal show, which is my show all about being arrested. I have done that show in Canberra before. It is an encore performance for those who didn't see it or those who saw it but would like to bring a friend along to see it. And then the next night, I will be doing my improvised show, What You Talking About, Will? Uh, two nights in Canberra. 
Um, obviously, under COVID conditions and the amount of tickets we could sell, it was only sort of we could make it financially worth coming by doing two nights. I'm going to do uh, We're Legal on the Friday night. I am going to do What You're Talking About, Will, on the Saturday night. If you want to come to both, there is a uh, discounted ticket if you want to buy a ticket to both of those shows. I think they probably will both sell out, so uh, getting quick if you want to come and see We're Legal or What You're Talking About Will in Canberra. And then after that, the weekend after that, my final of the What You're Talking About Will shows at the Brunswick Picture House will be on before they have a break to do some renovations. And then I am doing We're Legal the final two weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I think that starts about... uh Oh, April the 6th, I think my shows might start. April the 6th uh, through to the 17th or the 18th. So two weeks only, limited tickets available, limited shows available of Willegal, a return encore season at the Arts Centre, the beautiful Arts Centre, the Playhouse at the Arts Centre in Melbourne. Uh, that one is selling pretty quickly already as well. So if you want to come along and see Willegal, make sure you buy a ticket to that as well. There are the plugs for now. There will be more shows, hopefully, uh, as long as the you know everything seems to be going safely and we can do shows, um, obviously with any of these things, if you book a ticket and uh, for some reason a COVID reason, um, the shows can't happen. We obviously offer full refunds and all that sort of stuff. So um, don't worry about buying tickets. Um, it would be great if you would uh, buy a ticket to these shows, and then uh, if anything goes wrong, then we'll we'll fix you up and we'll reschedule them and we'll try them again because that is the world that we now live in but it's nice to be back uh, doing some shows and I hope you enjoy this catch-up episode with Corey Tup. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, Returning Guest. It is a returning guest episode. Very glad to have this guest back on the show. This is how the show starts. He knows it. He's been here before. But here's how the show starts. I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Um, I'm Corey Tutt, the founder of Deadly Science. Um, and yes, I like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dogs will probably appear at some stage during this, Corey. They're upstairs at the moment. I'm here by myself, and normally when I'm podcasting here by myself, the girls will come downstairs and they will just sit in the background while we're having a chat. But this morning, it's raining outside, and Ramona, one of my dogs, has literally got on the couch, put a blanket over herself, and gone back to bed. So I don't think we'll see them for a while, but at some stage during this, they may appear. That's terrific. <laughs> um, how are you, my friend? What's been happening since last time we spoke to each other because you were at the time the reigning New South Wales Young Australian of the Year. Now you've been deposed, deposed from that title, I assume. There must be a new New South Wales Young Australian of the Year or two since you were the last Young Australian. Yeah, there is. Um, Nathan Park is his name, the 2021, and he's an incredible um, human. But, you know, I guess a global pandemic was probably something that's happened um, since we last spoke. And Hang on, run it, me through this? I didn't realise. Has it made the news? <laughs> I don't know. You might have heard about it. There might have been a few tweets here and there, but uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's really strange because, um, you know, I think, like, in a way, COVID has been really good for me um, because at first, you know, you lose all your speaking gigs as like, you know, the young Australian of the year for New South Wales. And, you know, it's easy enough to sort of get in tears and sort of think, Oh no, my life is ruined. Um, but you can't miss what you didn't have. And also I, I find that 
it made my at-home life easier because, you know, I'd just moved in with my partner. Um, we're engaged now. And I actually just, it brought me back to what's really important. Okay, so there's so much in that, Corey. So firstly, congratulations, mate. That's excellent. I think relationships have gone two ways during the COVID period. It's good to see that yours has gone more positively. I think there's been a few who've gone the opposite direction, spending that much time with somebody they hadn't spent that much time with previously. So congratulations on that. But also the idea of you can't miss what you didn't have, I think, is a really powerful one too. So talk us about talk to me about the COVID experience and what you have learned from it. Well, thank you. I'm surprised too that she stayed with me. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it was very interesting because, you know, it like I had all these sort of things planned for, you know, going around and touring Australia and going and visiting some of the remote communities that I had built relationships with um, over the past few years. And um, I was really excited for it, um, but there was there was times where you know I would have had three or four days off in three or four months, and you know I got to really you know I got to really balance out like it's with what I do it's it's allowing kids to see what they can be, and it's allowing you know the opportunity to enjoy science and education, um, and you can get caught up with all the awards and you can get caught up with, you know, just going and speaking to corporates and hoping that they, you know, feel guilty enough to help, you know, fund your charity and help, you know, create the change that we all want to see. But it actually was, you know, it was really good for me because I got to spend a lot of time at home, which, you know, I I hadn't previously, I'd been away a lot. And I think, um, you know, I got to impact kids in a, in a virtual way and also, um, you know, it, it focused my efforts a lot more. Okay, so impacting kids in a virtual way is an interesting area for me because obviously COVID time, a lot of kids suddenly went from, you know, an in-person learning model to an online learning model. But that is something that you had at least to a certain extent already been operating in that sphere. A lot of the time when you're talking to these communities, when you were getting books out to these kids and then talking to them it was over the internet it was online so what has the pandemic and this kind of switch to more virtual learning meant for deadly science well it's meant that like i guess i I built a platform during the covid break where you know if it's if i can say it's like ebay for scientists that's probably incorrect but um you know i created a virtual platform where schools can actually pick out a scientist and do a virtual lesson. Um, And it's something that hasn't been really available to remote schools before. And I guess that, you know, when, when everything's so negative in the media, you turn on the television and you see, you know, you see stuff, all the deaths around COVID, you see all the Black Lives Matter stuff. Um, You know, every time you see a young Aboriginal person on, in the media, it's generally negative, but Deadly science flips that because not every story is negative. Actually, the majority are positive. And our young people are great. They're talented. They're not just sports people. They're not just artists. They're, you know, they're natural scientists. They're all, in, they're all intelligent in their own ways. And deadly science just shares the positive stuff of that because you already get enough negative information. And I just, um, you know, it was something for us that I made sure that, you know, anything we put out there was positive because there's so much negativity and you know that's the role we play and it's just you know it's it's important that 
we share those stories because those kids need those stories just as much as you do, Will, anyone. Um, and I think that, you know, with COVID, um, we actually, you know, we got put on the project, which was really awesome. And that was huge for us. But it was, it was like a, a nail sticking out of a piece of wood because there's so much negative stuff. But then here's this positive stuff that's happening during COVID and that's really important. Yeah, positivity in these moments is incredibly important. But particularly when you talk about, as you said, Indigenous representations in the mainstream media, the majority of which are either negative representations or around debates that have to thrust Aboriginal people into debates or into conflicts that they might not necessarily even be want to taking part in. I mean, I always, I've had a string of, you know, First Nations related guests, you know, over the last few months and talking to them during the period of January, I've noticed how much just personal trauma, even having to have conversations in that month is because suddenly you can't turn on you know the television without seeing a debate over January 26. You can't read a newspaper without you know people debating your legitimacy. And at the moment, there's been obviously a bunch of sporting stories about sporting clubs having endemic racism problems and race relation problems. And so, so many of the issues around First Nations people, around people of colour, around Black Lives Matter, they were also... Uh, even if they weren't framed as being negative, they were framed as being, you know, big, high, passionate arguments. So trying to get that goodness, that positive story out amongst all that media noise must be incredibly difficult. Oh, it's difficult, but it's also fun. I mean, I love reading about, you know, Trey. When I get an email or I get a FaceTime or a phone call from Trey from Geraldton, you know, he's a kid I taught how to read. You know, he's a kid that now um, loves science and... You know, who, where would he be if it wasn't for, you know, him reading positive, like for him, you know, being encouraged for learning and, you know, and I think it's it's so easy to be critical of people, um, you know, in the, in the sense of like with all the negativity around it, you know, there's no shame in being a First Nations person and, you know, it's, it's actually quite special to be part of the old, oldest living culture on earth and... Um, regardless of whatever your colour is or where you come from, there's two things you need in life, and that's passion and purpose. And when you have those things, you're already at a, a starting point of change because, you know, your passion might be that I want to learn about rocks like Trey and become a geologist. But your purpose is probably, you know, maybe I want to inspire young people to do that. And, you know, it's that... You know, I said last time that whole notion you can't be what you can't see and I probably said that way too many times. But, again, my purpose is to not... Not every kid that I work with is going to become a scientist, but every single kid out there deserves the opportunity to believe that they can do something with their lives. Okay, so during this time of COVID, there has been an opportunity for people to really assess what is important to them. Uh, For somebody like you who already had... A passion, you know, something that you were very much, you know, you know, inspired about, you know, was bringing meaning to your life, bringing meaning to the life of others. Did you double down on that passion because of how you saw the world during COVID? Did you have any doubts about your passion and your drive during this period? I mean, because it is just a period of time these last 12 months where people have reassessed their life 
on every level. And sometimes that's meant that they want to lean more into what they're doing. Sometimes it means they want to lean away from what they're doing. So what was that process around, you know, particularly your connection to deadly science during that time? Well, I probably threw myself into it more because I was reminded of my mortality in the sense of I had a lot of people that, um, you know, for example, Norma McGee, who was kind of like a mother to me. Um, You know, she, um, when I was 16, she taught me how to cook food for the first time. So I knew how to make, you know, something other than toast. Um, She passed away and I couldn't say goodbye. Um, And then, you know, I thought about it more and more and more. And we had, you know, we had a number of Aboriginal families stuck in the housing blocks during the COVID-19 pandemic in Melbourne when it first kicked off. And, you know, I didn't think twice. I sent books down there um, because I know that, you know, I know that in these times people need support and, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm privileged as where I get to, you know, I get to have a voice where I can, I can talk about positivity and, you know, I'll be honest with you, Will, um, I had moments during COVID-19, I played rugby and I did my knee and that, you know, made me tear my hair out a bit because I, I use exercise and sport to be something that levels me out. Um, that is a bit of a break from deadly science and, and this, and all of a sudden I've got a metal brace on my right knee and I can't drive anywhere and I can't drive to the post office and I have to rely on my, my wonderful partner and friends to, to do the deadly science stuff. So I've had to let go of a lot as well. And how has that process been? Because when you you know, have created something and, you know, I mean, this was always going to be the case, you know, if deadly science went how you want and need deadly science to go, to continue to grow, there was always going to be a point where you had to delegate more of that responsibility to other people. But it it feels like you you had it thrust upon you on a rugby field instead of, uh, you know, having to actually make that choice yourself. What was it like to be able to delegate and put that trust in other people? Oh, look, it was challenging because... You know, it, all of a sudden, like, you know, like you can't, you can't really have, you can't really replicate the passion that someone has when they create something like this. But at some point, you need to let go, and you need to let it evolve from just one person creating the change. Um, there's a word that our friend Dr. Carl taught me, and that was multifalsification, which is a physics word, and it's it's many people tackling this one issue and. You know, I was very lucky during the, the pandemic that a lot of people donated to Deadly Science and, you know, really sought to see the positivity in the world. Um, you know, we go on about fake news all the time. Um, if you're a Trump supporter or whatever, whatever you are, whatever your, um, you know, ideology. But, you know, there's one thing that isn't fake news and that's positive, honest news that people can relate to. And I think that um, it's it's really important that you know we bring people in that can can help with deadly science, help us grow, and um, you know it's not it's not just me now. It's it's every kid that has benefited from deadly science. It's the families, it's the communities, it's you know it's everyone that supports us. We're all in this together, whether we like it or not, um, and whether it's called deadly science or not, it's you know we're in it. <laughs> That, that's what people should have put on the end of the slogan when they were telling us we're all into this together at the start of the pandemic. They should have said, whether we like it or not, that would be a much more reasonable uh, slogan to go with. But I'm interested in what you said there, because we live in this world where there is a constant battle between 
disinformation, misinformation and actual good information and you are on the front lines of that battle. You are trying to get these kids good information, scientific information and give them an interest in the scientific method, seeing facts, enjoying facts, knowing that facts themselves have a beauty to them. You don't need to make up conspiracy theories. You don't need to believe in things that aren't true. There is enough brilliant, true stuff in the world if you just try to investigate that. Look, Will, there's there's more use to tinfoil than just making hats. Okay, good. Well, we've definitely got a James Fosdyke slogan for the pictures for the episode. Uh, I hope that doesn't um, bring any negative connotations towards that. But I just, you know, it, it, it's so true though. Like it's, you know, a lot of these, a lot of this misinformation is just done for attention, and it's, it's, you know, it, whether you like, whether you you know, believe in conspiracy theories or not. The facts are we've got a pandemic at the moment. Um, people are dying. People are getting sick. Um, you know, we have not had a, we've not had a vaccine for coronavirus before. And, you know, I'm not qualified enough to talk about it too much, but, you know, we, we're in this, you know, there's, whether you want to, you know, throw around theories or not, it's, we're in this together and it's, um, you know, it would be, we just need to be working together a bit more, I find. Um, but, you know, I guess it's, in a way, like, um, one of your other guests, Paul Dempsey, who's, shout out, he's a virtual mate of mine, he said, you know, he said something really interesting, which was like, he he knew this was going to happen. And I think a lot of us knew something like this was going to happen. Um, it's quite senile to think that this wouldn't happen in our lifetime, um, and, you know, we just need to be better prepared for it. So how do we better prepare ourselves for things like this? Because that is, we do know this, we, we've seen this, and this often leads to some of the conspiracy theories because people are like, oh, well, scientists knew about this already. They've developed it in a lab. No, scientists are working on stuff all the time and it's called COVID-19 for a reason. And there's a range of reasons for that. But how do we, obviously we're at a point in our history, Corey, and we've talked about this, but this idea that there is actually a rejection of people believing in science, which can have such disastrous consequences. For me, I imagined it was going to be around the effects of climate change. Well, those things haven't gone away while we've been dealing with what we've been dealing with during the pandemic. So with the challenges that are facing us and the way that science is going to play such a big role, how do we pay better attention? We just need to be a bit more aware of our mortality. You know, life is very short. Um, You know, we're not here for a long time, but the next generation is. Um, and we, you know, we just need to be, I guess, more observant. I think, you know, with the climate change stuff and, you know, people can deny it till the cows come home, but it doesn't mean it's not real. Um, you know, I, I have a phone bill that I need to pay that I'll look away at it and I'll pretend that it's not real, but it's still there. I still have to pay it, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. still, you know. And it's actually going to end up costing you a lot more if you don't buy it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's the same with science and, you know, we are ever changing, you know, when we, when we look at it, we are so, we're such a unique thing, right? We're these double-celled organisms that, that live on this planet that is unlike any other planet that we know. Um, and I think that it's, 
it's crazy to think that we know everything. Um, and it's, you know, I think that we've just got so much to learn just about how, how us humans work and, you know, and all those people that want to live forever. Like, you don't want to be 150 when all your friends are dead. You've got no one to play bingo with. Um, I'm, out of, I'm out of touch now. Like every time there's yeah. a new app, I'm like, oh, there's another app? Oh, I didn't get on board with the last app. You know, you talk about the next generation, and this is really a cross-generational conversation when I have it with you because you are a different generation to me, but you're also speaking to a different generation to you. So when you look at that generation, those kids that you are putting books into the hands of, you know, what do you see in that generation? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What, what, when they look at the world, what do they see? I, I see a lot of learning. Um, I see, you know, I see hope as well. Like, you know, it's whether you whether you like it or not, I think, you know, the next generation is generally going to be smarter than us because they're going to learn from our mistakes. Um, you know, our generation in our lifetime... And they'll, re- they'll repeat, repeat a few of our mistakes as well, Corey, if definitely, you've taught me anything. <laughs> definitely. I mean, you know, 60 years ago or around about, we had a moon landing. We had, you know, in, a, in the last, you know, few hundred years, we've had a light bulb and then an iPhone that now all the information's in the palm of your hand and you can just Google it. You know, who's not to say that the next generation will come up with something even better? Um, I think that, you know, that's what excites me because, you know, as humans, we are constantly coming up with solutions for the problems that, you know, science throws at us. And, you know, I just want kids to learn and, you know, whether they, I just want them to have access to the resources they deserve. And I think that, you know, we need to get rid of the boundaries that that race has on us or sex or, you know, we just need to remove that because at the end of the day, we're all human. And there's nothing that's going to change that. You cut us open, we bleed red. That's, you know, we're all the same um, in a sense. And we, you know, we just need to get rid of some of these these boundaries on, on young people. It is the most important thing. I mean, look, you could, I'm sure you could argue that there is, you know, people's access to health is an absolutely massive part of, you know, what is important. Obviously, addressing poverty is one of the big things that's important. But so many of those things rely on, education if we could give everybody equal access to education and not just equal access i think that's probably not enough you have to give people not just equal access at like you know the starting level but you need to give them an equal access by the time they're finished you know the whole experience of education has to be that two people from different backgrounds walking out of year 12 can be in the same position not that they can start in the same position before we start to funnel them off into private schools and different experiences and different levels of you know the class education system we need a universal approach to education that serves everybody surely well yeah definitely i i have this saying is that science education equals hope and science equals freedom i mean sorry education equals freedom and science equals hope because you know the the freedom of education is the freedom to think and to think differently and to be creative and you know come up with different ideas but then the hope is science where you know at the moment we're desperately looking for this covid vaccine that's going to just cure everything and we're just going to go back to normal um you know we're just going to go back to the pub sing sweet caroline it's all going to be okay um but you know that's not really the case it's not really how science works but it's a hope of that of returning to that normality and i think that you know, by providing education 
and you know, not just educating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander kids, educating the rest of Australia on our history, our real history, our real, you know, our people, the first astronomers, the first forensic scientists. If you're a gammon fellow and you get lost in the bush, the first people that come to get you are the black fellas. Hmm. Uh, if that's not forensic science, then I don't know what CSI is. <laughs> but it's absolutely right. And you know, I think that this is, again, why it's an overall experience. It needs to be as much about giving those, you know, Indigenous kids an opportunity to be in the education system and have those opportunities as it is to educate the rest of this population that came along about the story of the First Nations people of Australia, you know, the people whose country this is and the stories of those people and, the, like you said, the positive stories of those people as opposed to you know, the negative stories that can so often dominate the discourse around it. So how do you think, and we discussed this a little bit last time, but I'd love to dig into it again because I think it's super important. How do, if you're a a parent out there and you're like, my kid's not interested in education, because that's what happens, right? And what normally the parents mean by that is my kid's not interested in school. Whatever it is about the school system that we have set up is not very valuable for my child and that is not working for them. But surely the hope for all of us is, and this is overly simplistic, of course, but it's one of my you know, pet peeves, which is that you should leave your school experience with a love of education because the most important thing for the rest of your life, regardless of what you choose to do with your life, is going to be learning to do new things. There is no existence you can have in this world, no job you can have, no way you can interact with society without being able to enjoy learning how to do new things. It's the thing that gets in the way of everybody's progress is the idea that they don't want to, you know, have to learn how to do something. They don't want to have to learn how to do something new. The education system almost squeezes the desire to learn out of us in some ways. So how do you get kids just interested in the idea of learning about stuff? It's a really simple answer, of, um, and it's passion and purpose. If your kid's got a passion, whether it be cars or, you know, comedy or whatever, encourage it. Help them find their purpose through their passion. And I think that, you know, I think schools are very different to when you and I went to school, Will. Um, and, you know, it's like I, I barely made it through year 10. They told me to get out um, my school, but... You know, now I go and see my old principal and he's like, oh, Corey, you're one of our greatest ever achievements. And it's like, <laughs> that's really nice. But it's like, you know, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's a very simple thing. And it's, a, it's this whole idea of one glove fits all is so warped because we're all different and we all have different passions and purposes. And it's very simple. You know, if you're, if, you know, if you're a young person, you're going to school and you, you know, want to become a mechanic and you're told you can't do that, you know, either because you're female or because, you know, your grades aren't that great, but, you know, we need to be catering to the individual, not the class, because, you know, the vast majority of us, you know, we might finish school, we might go work in a bank, you know, it's pretty boring, (laughs) Um, but you know, how we really create change is just by encouraging people to follow their, their passion. Because if you're passionate about something, I can guarantee that your output is about 10 to 15 times more than someone that's not passionate about it, if not what, more. What's science? Like, so describe to me the scientific method. Because a lot of time we talk about science as if it's this thing that provides us with all these answers. And what we're really seeing is that 
you know, science is a method of understanding the world. Science is a process that, you know, an idea is put through and, you know, you might have a hypothesis and you would test that idea and you would develop something. And this is why science doesn't necessarily give you right answers. It gives you the most right answer that people know at that time, but with the little asterisks next to it that if we find out some more information, we might update this or change this at some stage. What Talk us through how you explain what science is to, you know, to these kids, to people when, they're, when they ask. Well, I see science probably a bit differently to most people. I see what we're doing now as a form of science, having a conversation, learning, um, observing, um, you know, when I when I think about science, and you know, I, I quite like to I quite like to walk along the beach, right? And I'll observe the the bits of sand, you know, or if there's any fish in the water, I'll observe what species they are. That's a form of science because I'm asking a question, and questions in life are a form of science. Um, if you look at our first people, my first people, the Camillori people, we looked to the stars and we looked at the dark emu constellation and asked a question. You know, is it time to go and collect the emu eggs? Is it a change of season? You know, that is science. Um, you drive around in a Tesla because you want to feel good. That's a form of science because you are you are experimenting, you know, and you're asking a question. And I, I said this to um, a friend of mine, Carly Kwong, who's um, a celebrity chef. I was like what do you think being a chef is about? And she's like, oh, well, I just want to put a recipe together and, you know, hope people enjoy my food. I'm like, that's a form of chemistry. You are taking spices, you are taking different, um, you know, chemicals and you're putting them together and your, your hope, your hypothesis is that, oh, I really hope that this person likes my meal. Um, you know, science is all around us. And for a really long time, um, you know, with, when we think of a scientist, we think of Albert Einstein with a white lab coat. But actually, for a matter of fact, we've got different forms of scientists. We've got sports scientists working in, in NRL clubs or, you know, we've got young kids learning how to grow vegetables in different food colouring, you know, to see what colour um, grows best with food, you know. And this is, this is stuff that is all around us. So we need to actually change the conversation. Instead of seeing the white male professor who's earning 400k a year as a form of science, we actually need to to start acknowledging, you know, women in STEM, um, you know, Aboriginal scientists. Um, science is not a secular thing. It actually is an all-encompassing topic. Whether you, again, whether you agree with what I'm saying or not, everyone around us is doing a form of science as we speak. So then... And this is where things can get messy because, you know, Pete Evans, another celebrity chef, you know, uh, not Manu, as we like to call him on this podcast, but it it doesn't need to be him in particular. It can be these pseudoscientists, these people who are saying, you know, I've come up with something that, you know, if you dilute this in, you know, a thousand milligrams of water, milliliters of water, you're going to, you know, cure your limp or whatever like that. Those people think that they are doing science also. So how do we work out what is good science and what is, you know, pseudoscience? Well, good science is evidence-based um, and fraud is fraud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're on fire today, Corey, by the way. <laughs> You're like speaking in James Fosdyke quotes this morning. I'm loving it. <laughs> um, but, you know... Even like, you know, even you know, even these people like Pete Evans and and whatnot, they are, 
you know, when they when they put out this, you know, crap information, it's a form of marketing because even if they agree with what they're saying or they don't or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Um, it's a business to them because, you know, the lemmings that like to listen to that stuff are just going to click on their stuff, buy their products, um, you know, and evidence-based science is about observing and it's about fact. And the facts, the facts are that vaccines work. Um, we would still have polio. We would still have all these horrible diseases if it wasn't for vaccines. Um, and yeah, look, I, I don't think a light machine that costs $15,000, it might give you a tan. It's a good solarium idea, <laughs> but you know, tan is skin cells and trauma. So, um, I think that, you know, it's, it's important that we just, we look at facts, um, but understand that science is all around us. But if you're an anti-vaxxer, you're not a scientist, you're a fraud. Are you fascinated in general with the world? I think that's like, that, that's what I notice when I speak to you. Like, I still remember you telling me about like why the blue tongue uh, had a blue tongue. And, you know, I was like, Corey just has these, you know, really fantastic um, observations. He looks at things and he, I mean, I've been looking at blue tongues for 47 years like there's a couple you know around this property and there's you know i just never really gone why do they have a blue tongue you seem to have a curiosity about those things is it just about the natural world or is that a curiosity you have about everything um it's pretty much about everything i mean i like like i said i think of things in a different way um you know i was i was recently down in hay in new south wales um and I spent some time with some people down there and you know, there was a shingleback on the road, for example, and the shingleback had another shingleback not very far away from it. And you know, those lizards make for life, they're monogamous, poor things. Uh, no, joke. <laughs> um, but they are, um, you know, they, now. they're, they're amazing. I can't make those jokes anymore, <laughs> but, but you know, they're amazing creatures because they can, they can not eat for three months or four months. Um, until it rains again and they can they can live in the most arid environment uh, and when they give birth their babies are half the size of the adult so they're born like it's a miracle that they can give birth but they've got this built-in gps where they can find each other every year and you know i think there's something quite romantic about you know like it quite it's again it's that science equals hope because when i think of the shinglebacks i think of like you know wow you know there's all this negativity around, but you know what, this, this stuff that's around us is actually quite beautiful and we probably need to appreciate it a bit more. Um, so when I think about like, when I think about science and I see things in a different way, it actually makes me feel better about the world because if I listen to everything that, that is said, if I turn on the news, it's quite easy to get depressed. Um, but when I'm sort of walking around and I see a, a wedge shell eagle and it's it's not flapping its wings because it's using its aerodynamics to to float around and look for rabbits or whatever, I find that I find that quite cool. I'm like, this is an animal that's using Earth and using like what's around to to its advantage, and I think that 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 is really cool. I, I love hearing you talk about these sort of things. So just tell me, I, I don't particularly have an agenda with this question, other than I would like to hear you tell me something else about the natural world that I don't already know because I love when you drop that shingleback thing was great every time you talk about these things I I personally get a little inspired by it so tell, just tell me another one I don't mind what it is tell me about what you're fascinated with at the moment or you know some well, amazing fact that'll blow my mind well we were um you know we did this thing with some kids down at Redfern and we took them to the zoo and 
you know, we just had an echidna, right? And we go, okay, what is an echidna spikes made out of? Well, they go, oh, you know what? Is it made out of wood? Is it made out of metal? Is it made out of bone? Well, actually, no, it's made out of keratin, which is the same stuff as your fingernails or hair. Um, and again, are they a real mammal? They're probably, they're called a monotreme, so they actually lay eggs. And most people wouldn't know echidnas lay eggs, um, but their legs are back to front. So an echidna's back legs face the same way as the front legs. And the reason for that is um, so they can dig themselves into a hole and they can protect themselves, but they're just a fascinating creature. And we took these kids to Toronto Zoo and I gave them a piece of paper where I wrote four facts down on the piece of paper and they're very basic facts. And I said, go away, learn this. And then we made these zookeeper videos. And um, each kid came back with an expert knowledge on echidnas, um, cottontop tamarins, uh, the animals we did for these videos. And, you know, it was, they were just questions that sparked the mind. You know, um, when, you, when you see an echidna, most people are like, you know, most people wouldn't know that an echidna lays eggs um, unless they knew, you know. Um, so I guess those, those are the sort of things that, you know, are... They're good party facts because if you go to a party and someone, you know, you want to break the ice, you can say, oh, you know, one of those facts. But I think that they're the facts that spark the mind and they want you to, you need to learn more. Um, like the Contop Tamarins, for example, um, I'd written four facts down and um, TT, one of our, our sort of mentees that were, was doing the video, she came up with this fact that they can speak 27 different languages. And I was like, what? But they can. They can speak 27 different dialects. Um, and this is just a small monkey. Um, you know, and these are the things that just amaze me because, you know, I think that I, I see the beauty in the world when I get to learn these facts because I have more respect for what's around me. Uh, so you talked about your trying personal circumstances, like doing, you know, the pandemic with a debilitating injury what was it like for you had you been injured before in like a major way like a knee injury um yes but before i could always drive and i could always get around um and i'm a very i'm a fiercely independent person um a couple of years ago i broke my thumb which was pretty bad um but this this time it was it was kind of worse because i I'd geared myself up. I'd never played semi-finals before in rugby union in Sydney, and I, you know, I'd swapped clubs. The Wakehurst boys were really good for me, but I was playing really well, and I was, you know, on top of the world because I, I, I'd actually just really enjoyed the COVID break because I'd spent time with my partner. I, I was rested up. I, you know, I was. It didn't matter to me. Money does not matter to me. It, it, like change matters to me. Um, I'm not motivated by money. So I didn't care that I lost all these speaking fees. Um, I cared about being able to send more books to community and inspire more kids. Um, but when that was taken away from me and that, that release of, you know, running around, playing touch football with my mates, um, playing rugby with my mates, and, you know, we all work totally different jobs. Like I'm a charity CEO and they're all tradies. And it's like, we're all coming together and that's a special thing. That's like, you know, that's a weird, um, you wouldn't normally get a charity founder that plays rugby union with a bunch of tradies. But, you know, I got along with the guys so well that, you know, it was really hard for me that all of a sudden, um, you know, I've just injured myself. And my partner, when I did it, my partner came home and I just had a shower and I said, like, look, I've done my ACL. Thankfully it wasn't my ACL, but 
um, you know, I couldn't go on those bush walks anymore. I couldn't, you know, I was all of a sudden just stuck in my office and, um, you know, it was really hard for me because that was my release, you know, that was my, um, break and, you know, I thankfully started running again and playing again, but then it's like every step I take now mentally, um, I can feel my knee going. <laughs> it's one of the hardest things they say to come back from those injuries is just trusting it again, you know, feeling like, you know, your body's not going to let you down again. What was it like? You said that's your release ordinarily. So suddenly you're without your release. So how did that energy um, come out in other ways or was it bottled up or did it come out in other ways, good, bad or indifferent? Oh, look, it was a bit of both because um, like I'd said, I lost a couple of, um, you know, friends during the COVID um, break to, you know, I'd lost a couple of um, people in community to suicide. I'd lost, obviously, Norma. I'd lost a work colleague, um, you know, and that it was, it kind of reminded me of my mortality and that I need to look after myself better. If I'm relying on this high impact sport to make sure that I feel okay, then I need to find other avenues because I'm going to be an old man soon and not be able to play rugby. Um, mind you, I did play rugby against a 78-year-old um, playing for Mossman this year. And <laughs> I, I didn't realise, but I tackled him pretty hard and I didn't realise it was him. And then he's like, hit me harder, you pussy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've just had to find other ways. So I, I spent a lot of time reading. I spent a lot of time... Um, you know, I guess, limping. Um, <laughs> so um, so but, far you're describing my life, sadly. <laughs> Reading sorry, but I, I, um, I enjoyed it. You know, I enjoyed, um, you know, my partner was very good at getting me out of the house when I first did it and taking us down to like get a coffee and, and whatnot. But in a way it was really good because it made me value things more, um, again, in a different way. So, um, again, we talk about how I value watching animals and nature and stuff, but I actually valued human relationships more because, you know, you find out who your friends are when you can't, you know, go to the pub and have a beer and, and whatnot um, because you've got a bung knee. But, you know, I, I was very lucky that I had a lot of support. Um, and actually, when I, um, when I proposed, it was really funny. Um, I got out of my knee brace and I saw a physio which cost me a bomb just so I could bend my knee because I got out of the knee brace the day before and I've been planning it for a while. So it totally threw off my like engagement plans. Um, but I, I saw this physio and he's like, you shouldn't be bending your knee because you've just come out of a brace, but I'm going to do it anyway because I need the money or whatever. I don't know. But um, I ended up, yeah, just going to the physio so I could bend down on one knee. And um, it was really funny when I did propose I'm sort of like not saying anything because I'm kind of crying. <laughs> <laughs> and and she's like, "Come on, you got like you got a speech, you know? Come on, you got a speech." And I'm like, "Just say yes or no." My <laughs> <laughs> speech is that I can't get up. Would you like to be the person who helps me up for the rest of my life? Get used to it. I'm going to be a cripple for a long time. But um, you know, it's um, yeah, it was a really special moment, and I guess um, that's kind of why. I think that COVID was good for me in a way because, you know, when I, when I last saw you, Will, I was, I'd gone from the Australian of the Year Awards to Melbourne, to Brisbane, back to Melbourne, and I'd probably been home a 
probably about one or two days. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm very lucky because I don't do deadly science for a job yet. Um, I, I want to make sure that, you know, the money that we get from donations goes to the people that need it. And we haven't earned enough to pay me yet. So I still work full time at the university. Uh, and, you know, I, I really work hard. And I think if I had been traveling a lot, I probably would have been on JobKeeper. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. You know, it is something that you would have had to do. You would have had to travel mostly because, both because you want to raise the profile of deadly science first and foremost and these are opportunities to get sponsors on board or at least get people to know what deadly science is all about and you've got to take the opportunity while it's there but the opportunity was taken away and i think there's something really positive about looking at the positive of looking at how it benefited you can we look at the positives to the world of the pandemic because that's what I'm hoping that we will have more conversations about when we come out of it. What is it that we learnt during this time that was great that we can hold on to? Well, I think what we learnt is that, well, we, I mean, like we saw images of Venice, right, when all the boats stopped turning up the mud and that all the wildlife started returning and that, I thought that was really cool. But I think, again, some of the positivity and the, the lessons I learned are probably what everyone learned is that we're here for a very short time and it can go in a, in, in a split second and maybe we should probably focus on the now and making now great, um, for not just us, but for everyone. You know, maybe you don't need that huge mega super yacht, you know, that's going to make your life great for 10, 20 years before you get bored of it. You know, maybe there's something greater at play that you need to maybe you want to give back or do something. So I don't think it really affected those millionaires much, but for the average person, I think that it's, it's made being together more special because a lot of people didn't get to see their families over Christmas. A lot of people didn't get to, you know, pop over to their, their mum and dad's place, but now they can because we've eased some of the restrictions and maybe they value that time more. And I think that that, that's a really beautiful thing because, um, you know, I think when I think back and, you know, it was just me and my partner for a really long time in the early lockdown of Sydney. Um, and, you know, this, uh, you know, the amount of anxiety now when you cough into your elbow or sneeze or, you know, you're like, I didn't do it. It's like almost like doing a really big fart in public and being like trying to hide it. But now it's like with, um, you know, with sneezing and coughing and that everyone's sort of like looks around and I think you know the best thing is is that it's improved hand hygiene so much because people are now washing their hands so there's a positive thing there <laughs> I mean that's definitely a positive thing there I, I've never been healthier and I don't mean in an exercise sense because actually my you know exercise and stuff has probably been less than it has been in previous years but I'm not fighting against so many other things because you know, not traveling around has been so good for my sort of back health and hip health, you know, not sleeping in different beds, not being on planes all the time. Something that was, something that I will go back to because it's part of my job, but was taken away from me during this time. But colds, flus, any of those sort of things that you might normally pick up, I have not picked up any of those things because everybody's just being so much more incredibly healthy about washing their hands or like you said at least coughing into their elbow or sneezing into their elbow instead of just you know sneezing out in public and i desperately hope that we cling to all those things yeah definitely and i you know i agree with that and i think um you know it's it's made people more aware of their health too i think like if i'm if i'm honest like yesterday i got a massive headache and it's 
was, I get them all the time, but I'm like, oh, you know what? I probably should rest now because if I have this headache forever, um, people might think I have COVID or something for coming to work. So maybe I, I should probably go home and rest. Um, where, you know, if I, when I was an animal technician um, and I had a cold or a flu, I would go to work thinking that if I didn't go to work, it was going to negatively impact my employment. Um, and I've felt like that since I first started working. And now I'm just like, well, actually it's encouraged for you to stay home if you're unwell. Um, and I think that, you know, there's no shame in doing that anymore. And I think that that's a positive thing as well. Um, if you're unwell at work, you get ridiculed instead of being ridiculed for taking time off, which is a positive thing. It's interesting, isn't it? That might even be the big one. If we could really hang on to that one, I think this is a game changer because, you know, Codrill, you know, famously, we talked about this on Gruen, used to have that slogan, soldier on with Codrill. And of course, they had to change that because the worst thing you could possibly do in these circumstances is soldier on. If you're feeling sick, if you've got any idea that you're sick, stay at home and don't infect anybody else. If it changes the way we think about that and that alone, that has the potential to revolutionise you know, our wellness in our society, I would have thought. Yeah, well, a couple of years ago when I broke my thumb, um, I went to work for a whole week um, without going to the doctor with a broken thumb and I had to tape a pen to my hand. It was the size of a football. And again, that was for fear of, you know, getting in trouble or like, you know, even I'd broken it on the weekend and it was kind of like, by the, by the time Sunday rolled around, the next Sunday, I was in that much pain that I ended up going to the hospital anyway and they ended up operating on it um, there and then. And it was like, for me, you know, I ended up being told they had no light duties for me anyway. So I was probably going to be like, you know, I was probably going to get made redundant from that role anyway. So I'm like, I'd better get my thumb fixed rather than, you know, rely on this, this whole attitude of being able to soldier on through pain is like, again, it's that toxic, toxic masculinity, like, you know, and we see it with footy stars, they get hit in the head and they cut the head open and then they're like, oh, I'll play on with 10 stitches in my head. But really, in reality, you probably should come off and get it treated and you'd be better for the next game. Um, and But not just that, it'd be really great to be able to recognise your family when you're 50, you know? Like, we yeah. we have to have a genuine think about the fact that we have encouraged for so many years these... It's not gladiators. You know, we encourage these people to do these things that are foolhardy to their future health, you know, in ways that... It's interesting to me that, like, you know, we basically say to these young footballers, hey, would you like to spend every day from the age of 35 until the age of 80 feeling like you've been in a major car accident because you're good at, you know, running with a football? There is that... We, we are asking them to do that. It is part of our culture that we've encouraged them to go on through the pain. And and also Joel Thompson and um, Joe Williams are, are really good on this because Joe uh, Joe is an ex-footballer, but he talks about the enemy of in and he's, he's a proud Radru man. And, you know, he has very, like he has short-term memory issues because of his, his football and his boxing. Um, but, you know, when when we have these footballers, they, they generally retire about 36 or 35 and we kind of forget about them. Um, you know, and they're people. And they're people that we put in this position for a very short time and we need to support them, you know, not through paying them hundreds of thousands of dollars, but support them how you would support any human, you know. Um, support them how you support your family. You know, they need this... Like with, with these sort of um, 
let's not think of them as gladiators. Let's think of them as people. And when they, you know, when they're retired, they're still people. Um, yes, they're on television all the time. Doesn't give them a special license to be a tosser. But once they're off TV, let's still remember that they're human in the end. And it's, it goes to saying is that like, I don't see the difference between, you know, a famous person and myself because at the end of the day, we've still got blood on the inside. We're still human. Nothing is going to change that. Um, so I would rather you just treat everyone the same. Well, I think you'll find that the ruling class are actually lizard people who control everything, Corey. I don't know if you've done your own research, but... Uh... <laughs> uh, if they were lizard people, I'd be more interested in them. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about people on their yachts. And again, I think this it involves not just a repositioning of the people on the yacht saying, I don't need another mega yacht. It involves a repositioning of us in society admiring the wrong things and i think during this pandemic we've seen what were essential industries you know the artifice has been stripped away and those frontline workers you know medical workers doctors nurses doing incredible amount of work on behalf of the rest of the society we talk about the frontline workers whether they work at a supermarket or whether they work in some industry that could not shut down so everybody else could operate they're essential to our industry we talk about the scientists yeah this is when you're really going it wasn't. We didn't call a bunch of comedians and say, "Come up with a perfect routine to fix COVID." We called a bunch of scientists and said, "Okay, eggheads, get in the lab and work out, you know, the solution to this, so we can all go back to the rest of the things that we do with our lives." So, can there also be a repositioning of how we see wealth? Should can we, as a society, stop admiring people who have? giant yachts and instead go i can't believe this person spent you know 30 million dollars on a yacht that three people are sailing around the ocean on when they could have spent that 30 million dollars on actually helping the rest of society well i think um you know the most important thing is that when scientists are now getting the funding that they've called for and deserved to fight this pandemic um so one thing we've drastically underfunded research um a lot hopefully we've learned um and i'm very optimistic about that but then also i when i think about you know if you're a wealthy person you don't have to give your money to make the world a better place but if you've got too much money that you cannot possibly spend then you should be giving back um and again like with the you know with the pandemic you know we essential workers you know rightfully so are getting you know a lot of the um, you know support now, or well, I mean, they're not even really getting support. They should be paid more for starters, um, and they should be held at a higher esteem. But also, we've recognised how important the arts are. You know, I used to love going to gigs when I was younger, when I wasn't so busy. And you know, I, I'll put on Spotify and I'll listen to you know my favourite tunes and stuff, and they'll get me through a tough time. But you know, we've lost the idea that. You know, arts and culture are what gets us through the, the tough times. You know, even like a lot of young up-and-coming artists lost gigs that they were, you know, and even comedians, you know, have lost gigs that they were relying on this year to to make it, you know. And it's so hard to make it because, one, everyone thinks they're hilarious. Um, some people are, some people aren't, you know, but it's 
the COVID pandemic has affected these people a lot and not everyone's got a Netflix special to, you know, fall back on where they can you know, make money that way. Um, so we need to realize as a society that we rely on the arts and, you know, culture more than what we probably realize. And we probably need to support those people as well. Damon Gamow, who uh, was on this podcast recently, made a film called 2040, which was about, you know, the positive things that we've done in the world of climate change, you know, the ways that we can actually start to fix a lot of the problems that we've, you know, come up with positive solutions to, um, you know, some of the major issues that are happening in the world. One of the things that he said was that it wasn't his role to be a scientist, but it also wasn't the scientist's job to tell stories. It wasn't their job to be the artist or the documentarian or the journalist who then communicates that information. You're somewhere in between because for you, you're getting these kids involved in science, but you, like Dr. Carl, are a science communicator in a, in a bigger way. You know, that's really what you're doing in this space is you're communicating a love of science, what science can do, and then be... And so you're in that in-between period where you're not the, you know, the scientist in the lab, you know, doing that work really. You're the person who's telling people the stories. You're communicating those stories. So tell me a little bit about taking science from what people kind of go, oh, that's science, that's boring, I don't want to know about that, to being able to go, no, you do want to know about that. Here's how I'm going to tell you a story that's going to get you to engage with why you actually are interested in science. Well, I'm going to use a very simple acronym, which is called Dioring It. Do your own research. Yeah. Dior. But there's two forms of science. There's there's the, the research that's evidence-based, that's factual, and then there's telling people about it. So I could discover there's Martians somewhere as a hypothetical. Yeah. How I communicate that with you, Will, is whether you're going to believe it or not. So, you know, the important role of the Dr. Carls, the Lisa Harvey Smiths, the Carly Noons is one, they're deoring it, they're doing their research, they're figuring out evidence-based stuff. And what makes a good, effective science communicator is how they communicate that. Um, again, the way I think about science is very simplistic. It's an observation. It's, a, it's an evidence-based fact that I've deored. Um, spoken about in a very simplistic way because I'm a simple person. Um, if you get this, some of these big scientists that are way smarter than me, their brain is moving a million miles an hour and they may not have the language or the skills to, um, to speak about it in a, in a very simplistic way. When I, when I think about it in communication and how we how we talk. Um, if you think about Barack Obama, and we're going to get into a political can of worms here, and again, I'm not really qualified to, to speak about this, but uh, the way Barack Obama speaks, he's an articulate, um, beautiful speaker that is a man of colour. He doesn't appeal to the majority of the population that, that it doesn't appeal to them because he is a well-spoken person where someone like Donald Trump can come in and be an absolute grub and like take photos of himself on Air Force One eating fried chicken 
and go, look, I'm just like you. But the reality is, is that Donald Trump's had a silver spoon in his mouth the whole time. Like his, his dad was a millionaire. His dad, in fact, he's probably the only person that's had a vast amount of wealth that's actually, like, actually lost that wealth. Mm. <laughs> um, but like, he's not like us at all. Um, you know, he's not like us working class people. Um, but it's all about how you communicate and, and communication is everything. Uh, we need to start finishing up, but you know that it takes yeah. a while to finish up, Corey. So, like, you know, we'll start that process. Uh, tell me as much as you're comfortable uh, about... Did Was there a moment that you knew that you wanted to propose to your partner? Um, well, I'm bad at keeping secrets, as you can tell. I just, like... I was probably... For about a month, I was just nervous as... And... Um, you know, it was, it was kind of one of those things where like, I always thought it would get to that stage, but then, you know, I think that, you know, I'm very lucky to have a partner that if I'm being a tosser, she'll tell me I'm a tosser. Um, she'll tell me when I'm, you know, I've said something wrong or, you know, and I, I'm still learning. So I'm not always going to get it right. And I'm not always going to, you know, be, I'm not always going to tweet with the best grammar. I'm not always going to, you know, say the right things. I'm going to see what I feel at the time. And I think that, you know, like someone that shows you unconditional love where it's, you know, it's, it's nothing is like, you know, nothing's the wrong way, but like they're able to tell you like, you know, if you've made them feel upset or, you know, that they really love you, they can be, they can be everything. And I think that um, for me, my partner has been someone that, has been the person to pop my head when it gets too big. Cause obviously, you know, I have all these things going on. She's like, settle down. You're still a kid from Dapto, you know? Um, but at the same time, she encourages me, you know, if I can't with a really good idea, she's like, let's think about how we can do it. Um, and I, I'm very lucky to have that person in my life. Um, and I just, I figured at the time was right. You know, it, I was very lucky to, to be stuck with her. Um, and she was, very unlucky to be stuck with me during the pandemic. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm very lucky that I have someone that I can really depend on. And, you know, I, I just wanted to make it official. So I put a ring on it. Sorry, Beyonce. <laughs> no, it's good, man. It's it's really exciting. And it's really lovely to see you, you know, talk about it and see your face light up. And I'm glad that you found somebody that you feel that way about. It's really cool, man. Um, did you always think that you might be a person who got married? Actually, never. Um, I never really wanted to get married or anything like that. Um, we actually met in an animal shelter, believe it or not, seven years oh, ago. Yeah? Um, okay. So, I mean, Are both working at an animal shelter? Well, I was working there, but she was yeah. um, studying to her veterinary bioscience degree. And I really just you know it, it was just something that like it the moment you stop looking for these things the they're the things that it's a, when it hits you and it finds you and um it's taken a while and like i think that you know i've always you know i, I was always sort of against the idea of marriage and kids it never really something that appealed to me but then you know when you meet the right person it kind of hits you um that, you know what, like, I would like to get married one day, um, you know, and that that's something that, you know, it, it took me a while to sort of figure that out. And I think, again, if I can make a point that for all young people listening um, and even old people, and you're not old, even though you think you're old, 
you're not and you're doing great but no one path is the same there is no straight path in life life is a marathon not a sprint and it'll take many twists and turns and the person I was five years ago is completely different to the person that's you're listening to right now and that that is completely normal and it's fine what you've said then could not better sum up why it is that I started doing this show like I hoped that that more than anything would be the message that people got out of it that is that people change and that people are growing and that people are learning and the real reason that we started doing these catch-up episodes was partly when COVID happened yeah you talk about the things that come out of COVID the pandemic happened and I was worried about not doing the interviews in the same room with people because I'd always done them in the same room I was like can we still have you know intimate conversations interesting conversations deep conversations about things if we're not actually in the same room and so I thought you know what I'll do some catch-up episodes with people I've previously been in the same room as and at least that cheats it halfway and they went well enough that you know now the majority of the interviews that people hear on this are you know I'm in the office in my house and yes the dogs did come in they've been in here for the last about five minutes uh I'm in the office in my house you know you're in a completely different city to where I am and we're having these conversations and uh Part of the reason I love the catch-up is because it tells that story that you've just told. You know, people get to hear where you were in that part of your life and now they get to hear from you in this part of your life. And those two Corys, I know, I recently re-listened to your first episode. It's rare that in preparation for one of these I will re-listen, but I wanted to go back and have a, a listen to what we'd spoken about last time and I can hear that I'm speaking to two different people. You know, two related people but you are definitely you know an evolution in so many ways of the person that I spoke to you know not that long ago so congratulations mate it's really cool it's been very nice to have you back on the show um uh let me uh ask a couple of uh oh, well I, I give people a second go on the time machine because <laughs> you know you've come back for a second, second episode so I think it's fair that you get a second go on a time machine to go to any point in history or the future uh, and check it out. So if you would like to, you know, roll the dice and go forward or back somewhere, where would you like to go? Oh, look, it's tempting to go back and push Cliff back in the pool, but I think, he, <laughs> I think past Cliff is um, angry at me for that. Um, look, I would, I would love to go back in time to the start of the pandemic before it happened. Um, and probably just... I would... I think that, you know, I wouldn't change anything that happened, but I think that I would come at it from a different angle in, in sense of like, I'm incredibly privileged to be where I am. Um, and I think that it is, it is a responsibility for me that has a little bit of a profile now and has a voice to be more vocal about stuff I believe in. Um, you know, I don't want to be here just existing. I want to be able to, to make an impact anywhere I can. And I think that if I'm, if I can go back towards the pandemic, when I was getting all the media, everyone wanted to talk to me. I think I would utilize that more in the situation to, um, one, create more conversations about stuff that we need to be having conversations about. And, you know, whether that's the, you know, it's the racism in Australia or the, the lack of education or it's, you know, it's just the weather today. 
I think I needed to be more, I think I would like to be more vocal about that sort of stuff and be more positive as well. Um, you know, there's people that look towards the Deadly Science Twitter um, and social media and my social media for positivity now. And I think that, you know, awards are one thing and they're really great when you win awards, but they're actually a responsibility because they're a responsibility because someone said and it legitimized your work because it meant something to someone. Um, and I think I want to build on that. And I think if people, you know, follow us and they want to be part, you know, of what I'm doing with my charity, then that that's really great. Um, and I want to embrace that more. So let's just finish by talking about where Deadly Science is at at the moment, what people can do to support the work that you're doing, what would be, you know, what's what's ideal for the future. You know, let's give us a little bit of a, a reset of where everything's at. Well, we're an official charity now. Um, we're using FRRR for DTR status, so you can donate and get some dollar redos back on tax, which is nice. Everyone loves that. Um, but I've also built this platform, which I was speaking about at the beginning of the episode, which... Um, it's going to hopefully revolutionize the way we, we give resources to remote schools. Um, you know, I want remote schools to have access to the Dr. Carl's and the Carly Noons of the world. Um, and I think that that's somewhere where we're going, um, creating more of those virtual Skype sessions and, um, you know, also careers for, for young people in STEM. And, you know, that's something where we're going really hard at right now. Um, so, you know, people can jump on the social media and follow us and, um, follow me as well. If you want to see some positive stuff and some random photos of reptiles, um, you know, everyone loves a random animal photo, but you know, it's, it's important that we're in this together and that, you know, there's no right way or wrong way, um, to get involved. Um, you know, the last episode we did people, I got so many messages from people and the, you know, majority of them were really positive and I just... Yeah, I just want to embrace people that, you know, that really want to make a positive impact. And I think that, yeah, it's getting bold. Mate, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. And hopefully I haven't recorded this in monotone. (laughs) 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 Thanks so much. 